Alright, hello, hello everyone, welcome back to the Dylan Dylan Show presented by D- Tunnel Vision Sports. Today is Friday, December 30th, the final show of 2022 from, from the boys coming to you live uh, from the great state of Michigan. Dylan Jesperson here from the great state of Kentucky joining us as always. Dylan Holt, Dylan, how you doing, man? Doing really well. I hope everyone had a great Christmas. Uh, I know I did just kind of relax and watch some basketball, watch some football. Just had a great time with family. And it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy that 2022 is already coming to an end. It feels like yesterday we were calling a wrap on 2021, but here we are. It's it's crazy. Uh, but I'm excited for the new year and I'm excited with everything that comes with that in the world of sports, especially college football. And I know we're both excited you for the playoffs, me for the Orange Bowl. It's very, very jazzed up for that. So I'm excited to just get into everything we've got today. But uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Like you, I'm really excited for the college football coming up. Uh, shocked as well that as quick as it's gone. Uh, I don't think we took a week off this year. I, I don't think we had one week where we didn't uh, record a podcast. So uh, 52 straight weeks of Dylan and Dylan action coming right at you. And uh, happy to be wrapping it up right here with you. Uh, and Fittingly, uh, for our, our last out-of-the-box draft of 2022, we're going to be drafting the best moments of 2022. A lot of great things happened in the world of sports this year. It was a great year for uh, memorable moments, some good championship moments, some good uh, mem- you know, things that will go down in history, even in the past month or so, that may be in, uh, on some of our boards. So, uh, interested to see how that plays out. I've got multiple coins here. I think I've got, I got the land stewardship coin here. That's uh, one of the original ones, so... Get that flipped up. I got a tails. What that pick me? would you like? Yeah, it's that's you. me. I, I've I've forgotten at this point which one it is. Well, I'm heads. You're heads, heads. I'm tails. Uh, I will take the second and third picks. You can go first. That's fine with me. Okay, I have a clear number one in my mind, and I know it's biased. Most most of my picks are biased, and that's okay with me. Uh, number one for me, I was just watching it on my phone, and I literally got emotional watching it. It's Tennessee beating Alabama. I literally it made my year. It, I know, like that might sound ridiculous to some people, but being a fan of Tennessee uh, for so long, for my entire life, it's been kind of miserable. Like my dad, like he gets to talk about the good times. I there's not really any good times for me. Like I don't remember the good times. And this year, I mean, kind of the peak of it this year was beating Alabama, storming the field, that field goal. And it just, man, I, I watched the field goal and then the aftermath of it. And I, it, I, whatever CBS guy it was, Gary or Vern, they said the misery on Rocky Top is over. And immediately after he said that, Rocky Top started playing. And I kid you not, like a tear dropped down my face. I was like, it's exactly like when the game happened. I was crying when the game ended. Started like a tear ran down my face then. It's just, it is such an emotional game. Watching Hinton Hooker and Jalen Hyatt put on uh, historic performances. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I don't think I'll ever like have an emotional attachment to a game like that ever again. I hope I do, but I mean, man, it's just, it's just, burnt into my brain and i i guess if you have to go down to one more rather than the game it's the field goal to win but man just that game in general is just incredible and i'll never forget it. i've watched it i think at least once once a week at this point maybe more i it's a it's a must watch for me every week and i just man it meant so much to me it's at the top of my list for 2022 uh, i'll give it to you for your first two picks no, I love that pick. We talked about it after that happened, how it, comparing it to the Michigan-Ohio State game last year and how you didn't really understand how I was still so in love with it. And now, you know, it's 
what months later and you're still watching highlights and tearing up because of it. And that's, that's what college football has done for us. That's what these games mean to us. And that's why with my first pick, I'm taking Michigan over Ohio state round two uh, as my best moment of 2022 easily winning the big 10 again could be right up there in that included with it. But uh, being able to go into Columbus and beat, Ohio State for the first time since 2000 was something special. Uh, it felt different this year. You know, l- last year was more of like a cathartic kind of like we get over the hump. We did what we needed to do. This year felt like it was more of a battle. Who is going to take the real like reign of the Big Ten moving forward? And and we actually came out and did the exact same thing to an extent. You know, ran it up, ran it up, ran up the score. Uh, gave us one of those moments that we'll never forget again. I, it's. Uh, you know, you you said you know you you know you don't think you'll ever have a, a moment like that, like a game like that ever again. I didn't think that until this year happened for Michigan, Ohio State. Like, and then it happened again. And it's, I think that's what these rivalries bring out of you, and especially the way that we've been in these rivalries. You with Tennessee and me with Michigan is like each win is going to mean something very special from here on out. Going down, even if I'm. We could win 50 in a row and I'll be telling, you know, kids like, don't, don't take this for granted because I remember what it was like when we did it the other way. So, uh, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, I think those are both on the same class of like what happened this year and what, what was great about college football this year. So happy we both got those on our list. Uh, with my second pick, I kind of hope we would both go biased for my first pick because I think the second pick is the clear uh, number one uh, outside of that. How about Lionel Messi? finally getting to the top of the the soccer world and winning a world cup. Neither of us are soccer guys, but I think uh, when you're talking about the greatest moments, you know, the greatest soccer player winning the biggest crown, like the biggest stage, something, something in the world cup where it's the world cup and the Olympics where you, you get four years to think about it and like, what's going to happen. You build all that hype. And, you know, we have been thinking about team USA for even longer than that. It feels like uh, for this Qatar world cup and uh, you know, Messi, obviously even longer than that, you know, that's the one thing he's never won. And then to hit for, have him not only, you know, go on and win it, but have the game that he had against Mbappe, you know, put on like maybe the greatest soccer performance I've ever seen. Definitely the greatest soccer match I've ever seen, but you know, Messi and Mbappe, I think one, one a one B in terms of like singular performances I've seen in my life. Uh, and, you know, for him to go out and win the crown the way that he did was, uh, I think, a special moment. So uh, not often I think soccer deserves like the number one overall spot. But I do think uh, this year is fitting that Lionel Messi uh, hoisting the World Cup makes my list. So uh, Michigan over Ohio State, the World Cup for Argentina. Uh, I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. Oh, yeah. Messi definitely belongs on this list and Argentina winning the World Cup. It was one of the few unbiased picks I had on my list because it was, it was just so great. And I know it's in the brain recently. But man, it was it was just awesome. So, yeah, I, I think that definitely belongs. And obviously we, we've uh, spoken so much about Michigan, Ohio State, Tennessee, Alabama. They definitely belong here on here as well, especially on this show. Uh, for my number two pick, it's biased, but it belongs on here anyways. I really believe it. It's Albert Pujols getting 700. That I talked about Tennessee, Alabama. That was like a joyous, like I started crying. Pujols hitting 700. I was in the car on the way to Knoxville to watch the Tennessee football game. Funny enough, going to the Tennessee-Florida game. And we were in the parking lot of a Bucky's uh, gas station, which if you're on TikTok, you've probably seen old Bucky's. And we're in the gas station watching Apple TV and pools hit 700 at Dodger Stadium. And I just like 
put my hands up and like victory. I was like, it happened. I got to see one of the greatest moments in Cardinal history, MLB history, watching this Hall of Famer solidify himself as one of the greatest hitters of all time, home run hitters, however you want to phrase it. It's Albert Pujols. He's the GOAT in my mind. And I just, it solidified this year, his comeback tour and his retirement tour in St. Louis. It was just phenomenal. And I, I had so much fun watching it and it all led up to that. And it was, oh, it was awesome. Really, really cool. Seeing your childhood hero, the guy that got you, uh, that made you fall in love with baseball, kind of the the top, the the cherry on top of his MLB career, watching that happen. It was just so, so cool. So, yeah, that I think that belongs there. I think that's someone, like, from an unbiased standpoint, I think people would be like, yeah, Poodles in 700 is one of the top moments of the year. My last two picks are going to be fully biased, though, and I, I'm A-OK with it, as long as you don't pick one of them. And I know you're not going to pick this one. Uh, or I, I know you're not going to pick my last one. That's why I'm going with this one first. Um, my number three pick is John Morant fully becoming a superstar. And I think people might've forgot this, but back in like February, March, he set the Grizzlies franchise record for points in back-to-back games. He broke it with 46 and then two nights later set it or broke his own record and scored 52. And it's like, okay, Ja has gone to a new rank. And I remember last year going into the season where like, he's in the teens, He's in the teens of the NBA. Like he's not quite to that top 10. And I think it was that week. It was like, okay, yeah, he's a top 10 player. And he really earned that rank. And I mean, his career's skyrocketed from there. He's got his own signature shoe. Now he got the Grizzlies to get in their first Christmas day game. And I, I, I think the sky's the limit for John. It's really cool to watch a guy that I went to college with just becoming one of the top players in the world. And we're going to talk about that's a little uh, teaser for later in the show. We're going to talk about the top players in the world in a little bit. But yeah. Watching Jaws Ascension uh, to, Superstar was really cool, and it's kind of like the opposite of watching Pujols, the twilight of his career, watching Ja just rise. It's really, really neat. It's it's been a joy to watch. But yeah, those those two games, him taking over just the career leaderboards for points in a game for the Grizzlies was really, really cool to see. So that's my two and three picks. I'll throw it to you for your three and four. Yeah, twenty twenty two could just be the year of Ja at this point. Like it just seems like every time I look around, he's just doing something. And insane, whether it be on the court, you know, like with, you know, another 50 point performance or whatever it may be. And then off the court, like you said, with the signature shoe stuff. So uh, it's been fun to watch it from my perspective, watching you watch uh, someone you went to school with go and do that stuff. So love those picks, obviously, uh, with my third pick. Uh, yeah, with my third pick, uh, I'm going to go with something that you just reminded me of. I didn't even think about it until you talked about Albert hitting the 700 because Miguel Cabrera and the Tigers also had their own, uh, their own chase of history this year. And Miguel Cabrera hitting his 3000th hit, uh, was something special for me to watch. Uh, I I feel like 3000 hits is something that is just kind of becoming less rare almost at, at a point because I feel like more and more guys are getting there, but, uh, for a guy like Miguel Cabrera, when you look at him and you think – we think of the hitters nowadays and we think of just like these home run hitters, these big power bats, and sure, Miguel Cabrera was that, but I think when you look at his full-out career and what – you know, that that 3,000 hit mark is something special because that's what – he was the best hitter. He was just – purely one of the hardest outs to get I've ever seen uh, in terms of a from a pitcher's perspective I don't know if anyone really did uh any if I don't know if anyone has like good stats against Miguel Cabrera in their career because it would be very hard for them to have a dominant uh you know one-on-one matchup with him because he is just the hardest guy and he, he he studied so hard and he he was just 
uh, an incredible player to watch, and uh, I'm excited to watch him in his final year coming up. So uh, getting his 3,000th hit was a, a very special thing to watch, watching all those games leading up to it and then, uh, you know, getting that done. So uh, put that on my list. And then for the fourth one, I'm going back to baseball in a year where I – was checked out of baseball for all year. I've got two moments uh, from the MLB and I, uh, how about Bryce Harper's home run against the Padres? I, I really think in terms of like purely moments, I didn't have a lot of like moments of like, just like one moment in a game. I think that was like the coolest moment this year was like Bryce Harper, uh, you know, the Phillies were like the st- Cinderella story of the, the MLB playoffs. Uh, they were down in the eighth inning, but Bryce Harper, this this kid who had just been, I don't want to call him a kid anymore, but uh, he'd been written off after, you know, all that hype of, from what he had been. And, you know, people thought he was overpaid and overrated. And then these past two years for Philadelphia has just been something spe- special. Uh, and that home run that he hit, you know, the swing of his life. Uh, I think that's up there with the home, be, some of the best home runs in postseason history. And I think that cemented Bryce Harper in terms of like, we'll always remember Bryce Harper. I feel like he, he kind of was in that like intermediate range where we were like, he was very good. We all knew he was going to be very good. He had kind of lived up to those expectations, but he wasn't truly legendary until he did what he did with Philly this past year. And now I think it's like, okay, he's going to be one of the top players in the MLB for the rest of his career. And we're going to remember him afterwards for what he did. And even if it's just for that home run, then fine, because that was one of the best moments uh, that I've seen. So uh, give me Bryce Harper, give me Miggy on my list, and I'll throw it to you for your final pick. I was lucky enough to see Bryce Harper play this year in the postseason in person. And in the second inning of that Cardinals Phillies game, he hit a home run and it was something that can only be described. Like if you were there, because the second that ball hit the bat, the sound it made, how fast it went off. It's like, that's gone. There's no chance that it's staying in Bush stadium. And it was just really, really special. I was like that. Like you, you knew that was our home run. The second it happened, it was really something special. And I've seen some great hitters play. I mean, I watched Albert Pujols for most of my life, like in person many times. I had never seen some Albert do that. And Albert's one of the greatest ever. But watching Bryce Harper do that was really, really cool. He's got uh, maybe the best swing in baseball right now. It's definitely up there. He's, he's incredible. Uh, my last pick. It's super biased, and I, I'm a-okay with that. It would probably be on, like, no one else's list for the best moments of the year, but it is mine because I am a Murray State racer, and I'm a proud Murray State racer. I've got Jaw at three. He's a proud Murray State racer. Number four, Murray State won one final OVC championship, and that, I, it was really, really cool. It was, our, it was our last dance in the OVC, and we said, you know what? This is our conference. It's been our conference for 75 years. Didn't lose a single game in the OVC. Went, ran through it and uh, won one last OVC title. And it was really neat getting to go to the game. And it just, it was a celebration for Murray state fans or students in school. Now kids that grew up in Murray uh, and then alumni from all around all got to Evansville, Indiana. And we just, we celebrated an OVC title and a lineage of dominance in OVC. And now it's a new in Missouri Valley and hopefully a new tradition. But yeah, it was, it was really cool getting to see the storybook ending to that. Cause I've in my life, I've been to like, I don't know, like 13 OVC championship games. Just my parents are Murray State alum. I, I grew up in Murray going to games. So, I mean, I, it was, it's been part of my life and getting to kind of close the book on that and starting a new, it's pretty neat. You know, you get less and less of those experiences as you get older. So it was, that was something cool to experience. And I had so much fun watching that and watching what a special team that was with KJ Williams, Tevin Brown, Juice uh, Hill, Trey Hannibal, <laughs> half the LSU starting lineup this year uh, and coaching, man, it was really, really neat to see. So yeah, it's definitely a top moment for me in the year of 2022. Uh, did you have any honorable mentions? 
course I did. I had uh, quite a few honorable mentions uh, from football. Uh, the Bills Chief playoff game, the, the final two minutes were final like 13 seconds, you should say, in that game. Uh, the Vikings come back from just recently in that Vikings-Bills game from just a few weeks ago. I feel like that's just kind of been forgotten, but that was one of the greater games uh, of the year. But I'm going to keep talking about that. Chandler Jones stiff arm, I think, is going to live on in, in infamy. Uh, that, that was one of the best moments. Uh, Aaron Judge pa- passing Roger Maris. Uh, Tennessee beating Bama was on my list. And then North Carolina's run in March Madness as a Tar Heel podcast. And specifically ending Coach K's career in the in the um, Final Four was something special. So uh, any honorable mentions on your list? Man, it was an incredible year. Because, like, I, like, when I sat down, I thought, obviously, like, my things came to mind. I was like, this is what I'm going to talk about. If you've listened to the show, you know. When I'm talking about moments, I'm talking about my moments. That's what I want to talk about. But then, you, like, you put in retrospect, like, the things that have happened the past two months, it's like, holy cow, there's been some really cool things happen. We didn't even mention, like, St. Peter's, the run they went on. One of the greatest Cinderella runs ever. Obviously, I hate it because they beat Murray. But, I mean, that was an incredible Cinderella run. What Tennessee baseball was able to do this year, becoming the biggest villains in Navy sports. And, like, that's a sport that, like, people really don't care about college baseball and people started to pay attention because Tennessee were just they were like the bad boys and that was really neat to see just so many things that happened it was was a really great year for sports and I really believe that I think we we saw uh, baseball get back in the limelight I really believe that I turned on sports center the other day and baseball let it off and I was like whoa like it's not baseball season football is in full swing basketball is in full swing and they're like nope we're talking about baseball i was like that's neat i was like people are talking about baseball and then soccer it seems like soccer's popularity is growing even more it's it's great year for sports and uh, this was nice to kind of reminisce on some of the great moments absolutely absolutely that's going to be a fun one for people to vote on and it was fun to yeah definitely look back on this year which was a a good year i feel like 2021 was a bit more of a down year. This was a bit more of an upswing, uh, at least in my mind. Uh, Moving on, uh, there are a few games being played left in this final week of 2022. If you're listening to this, we're recording this on Wednesday, which means the night before we recorded this, Luka Doncic did something that has never been done in NBA history dropping 60 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists, and a win over the Knicks in overtime also hitting this ridiculous game tying shot uh after intentionally missing a free throw uh Luka Doncic like John Morant like we talked about has become just an absolute superstar over this past maybe year and a half two years uh and I I think the question has to be asked at this point because uh you know the Lakers don't look that great LeBron's definitely taking a step back I don't think really LeBron's in this conversation anymore is Luka Doncic the best basketball player on the planet right now Dylan it's really close. I don't know. I, it's hard to say that he is in the elite conversation. I think the NBA and basketball in general, there's like, when you get to the elite, it's like their top five. And I think Luca is firmly top five. And it's crazy because he's 23 years old. I mean, he is so young. Like back in the day, like he'd be a rookie right now. And he's like been in the league for like four years now, five years now. And he's really, really comfortable. It's a shame that he doesn't have a better team around him because they'd probably be the finals favorites because he's so good. Um, I mean, that stat line you mentioned, 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. That's stupid. The NBA should have a metric where if Wilt Chamberlain didn't do it, you should know that it's one of the craziest box scores ever. Wilt Chamberlain never did that. He never had a 60-20-10 game. And that, like, Wilt Chamberlain did basically everything. 
And he never did that. And Luca's done that. There's not many times in the NBA where you're like, yeah, no one's done this. If no one's done it, you know you've done something really special. Luca's doing special, special things down in Dallas. And it's it's hard to say if he's the best on the planet. Because I mean, Giannis is a freak, but Giannis doesn't have to have 60, 20, 10 games. That I, I think like Giannis has this great team around him to where he can just do his thing and he can rely on his teammates, which is a nice luxury. And it kind of makes you curious what Giannis, the numbers he would put up if he didn't have such a great team around him. If he was on a, a faltering team, kind of like Dallas, that doesn't have the great role players like Chris Middleton. Oh, I don't want to call Chris Middleton a role player. He was an all-star, but he plays his role. Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, all these guys. If, uh, if it was the, the roles were flipped, Luka was on the Bucks and Giannis was on the Mavericks, uh, what Giannis would be doing. But I think Luka belongs in the conversation. It's Luka, Giannis, Nikola Jokic. And then you got two other spots. I think that would be in the elite realm. It's whoever you want to put in there. Like, is it a Steph Curry? Is it a Kevin Durant? I mean, I'd still like to put LeBron in that top five in the world. Is Victor Wimbignana in the top five? I mean, it, there's people saying like there's a scout, an anonymous scout said he might be the best player on the planet right now. And he's not in the NBA. And it's like, whoa, that's, that's getting kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I think Luca firmly, he belongs in the conversation, which is like a huge compliment. I think I, it's hard to say like he is firmly like the best, no doubt because there's such good basketball players right now. Like Nikola Jokic's doing things crazy every night. Like he's unstoppable. Giannis is unstoppable. Luca is Luca. Like there's so many words to describe Luca. He just he just goes out there and he's magic. And it's crazy to think like none of these guys are American. They're all foreign players. And it's it shows how basketball's taken over the world. It's really neat to see. But I, I think Luca's firmly top five. He's probably three. Um I don't know. Two. I Giannis is I think Giannis is my one. I I I think I think Giannis is my one. Luca might be right behind him, and Luca might have the edge in the long run because Luca can shoot. His shot's so nice, and man, I don't know. That performance was special. It like the thing that's going under the radar too. They were down by like ten points with like twenty seconds to play. Like it's just one of the most absurd game-ending scenarios games in a long time. It's like that team Mac comeback, and like I was getting texted about, it and I was like, whatever. It's a random Mavericks game. In December, like who cares? They're like Luca's going off and all this. I was like, yeah, it, it's Luca. And then you see it after the end, you're like holy cow, he's special. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm gonna say one of the best on the planet. I, I think that's just being fair to the other guys. Yeah, I think you hit on all the right notes there. He's right there with uh, the guys, and I think, like you said, the top three guys are all foreign born. It's Giannis, it's Jokic, and it's Luca. Uh, and I don't know if that says something about American board or like the American AAU system or what that says, but, or what the, just what they're doing overseas now. And just how the game has grown. Like you said, it's just incredible to see these guys come over and just make it look effortless. Like, I, I think that's the thing. I think, you know, Giannis, I feel where you're coming from with Giannis. And I think a lot of people get bored watching Giannis like they did with LeBron for a lot of years, because it's just the same thing over and over again. But when you talk about the guys that are just putting up stupid numbers every time you look, it's it's Jokic and it's and it's uh, Luca. I mean, Jokic had the quietest forty twenty seven and ten game a couple weeks ago uh, I've ever seen. It, I I think Jokic just goes under the radar just because of how big he is. We just and we've seen him for so long at this point. We're getting bored of him too, but uh, it. 
it's it's wild to see how effortless both Luka and Jokic make the game look at this point because they both almost like yeah the they're, they're two guys where, like, looking at them just playing basketball, you might not even be able to pick them out of, like, a pickup game and be like, oh, yeah, those guys are way uh, far and beyond better than everyone on the court. But uh, there's something about them, and, and there's something about Luka. And that, uh, something when I was watching those highlights of that 60, it, there, there's something about him where it's like, yeah, I get it. Giannis, like, physically probably is about better athlete than Luka. Uh, he probably has all the tools better, but like Luca's just special. He's just that special kind of guy, and that's the, that's the, the thing we love about sports is like it doesn't have to be like cookie cutter. Like this is you know you you check these boxes that makes you you the best player in the world. Luca's just got something different, man, and I think that's what puts him at number one in my mind right now. It's just I I don't know if if you're giving anyone the ball down three points at the end of the game. I'm picking Luca every time at this point. Like, I don't know if there's anyone I'm picking better. Like, and, and that scenario, you can change that scenario to basically anything. Like who do you want guarding the best player in that scenario? I want Luca. I, you know, who do you want taking the free throws at the end of the game? I want Luca. Like, you know, who do you want in an all-star game, uh, you know, sizing up one of the better players, you know, Luca's number one on almost all of those lists. And then, like you said, He's got the shot over a guy like Giannis, and he's got—I don't know—maybe the shiftiness over a guy like Jokic. It's easier to see. It's easier to be amazed more by what Luca does because I feel like—I don't know. There's something about Luca that I just can't describe, but I do think he's taken over that number one spot. Uh, And I think—I don't know—what is about these foreign-born players that have just something special right now, something different uh, about them that's just so much fun to watch. I saw someone on social media say this. They're like Giannis and Jokic and Luka. They've got that dog in them. I know that's become like a generic statement on social media, but they do. They have an extra level of drive, whereas like they didn't grow up best friends with all the guys in the NBA. Whereas like a lot of the American players, if you become an elite player, you're in the AAU system, you know everyone that's in the NBA from the time you're like 12, 13 years old. So there is a difference. Like Giannis, like he's talked about it in the summers. He's not working out with guys that play for different teams. He's working out with the guys that he plays with or himself or his brothers. And that, that creates an extra drive that creates like, I'm like going to war. Like, this is like, this is what's happening. I'm winning. I'm out for myself and my teammates. And that, that does make a difference. And Luca might be in the same realm. I don't, I don't know Luca's exact mentality on that, but it does make a difference when you're not like, Oh, that's my buddy. Uh, like I want to see him succeed too. It's like, I'm out here for myself and trying to try to make a legacy for me. I think that does make a huge difference. And we've heard about the Jokic brothers, their mentality. And if that's, if that's Nicola's mentality, then that's, that helps him be as special as he is. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. You- you you said it right. It's a different mentality, and I think you know guys should take note of like what this what these guys look like and how they're doing it because you know I I don't know I I, th- I do feel like there is a a, set, a part of professional basketball, especially during the regular season, where it does seem a little bit too friendly, too laid back, and you know no, nothing makes it better than watch it like. I don't know how you can't be competitive watching a guy drop 60, 21, and 10 on you. Like, you're going to have to come back next time and not be embarrassed. So, I, I don't know. Maybe it'll introduce a little bit more competitiveness in the NBA. But uh, uh, that settles that onto your question for this week. Yeah. So, while we're talking about great players, I'm going to shift from the basketball to the football world. We've only got like two weeks left in the NFL regular season. And I'm wondering, because, like, in my mind, there's not a clear picture. There might be in your mind. I don't know. 
Is there a clear front runner or do you have some favorites for NFL MVP right now? So in my mind, I think I said this at the beginning of the year. I didn't check this before. I, I said Justin Jefferson should be in the in the MVP race. If if I didn't pick him as my MVP, I know it's a quarterback's award, but I don't know if you can make a case for anyone that's been more impactful than Justin Jefferson this year. I mean, you talk about a team that has exceeded expectations. And I know everyone wants to call Minnesota Vikings a fraud. They've won the game. I mean, they've won – it, it you you can call them frauds all you want, but when you win 12, 13 games in an NFL season, uh, you know you're doing something right. Uh, and I don't think it's really Kirk Cousins the fact that they're doing all that right. Uh, I think Justin Jefferson has been uh, completely a game changer, and I've talked about it. He's a special type talent at wide receiver. He's not uh, he he does all those special things that every other wide receiver has done, but he's also elite at route running. I've never seen a guy like him get separation. It, it, it's incredible. So uh, my front runner, my clear front runner, would be Justin Jefferson. I just don't think they're going to give it. It's going to take him doing this for like three years for them to be like, okay, we have to give it to Justin Jefferson because there's not nothing else we can do. I still think they won't give it to him this year. So we're going to have to look at quarterbacks. And I think it goes back to the the conversation at the beginning of the year. Is it Pat Mahomes or is it Josh Allen? I think those two are really the front runners because those two teams, uh, the chiefs a little bit more quietly, but the, the bills obviously have been one of those teams that are like, they've taken that next step. Uh, they look like a, a Super Bowl contender this year. Uh, they look like they're destined for another rematch of that divisional round game, which was so fun to watch at the end of the year last year. Uh, if it if it were up to me, if you're going to give me a vote, which I would love to vote, but if you're going to give me a vote, uh, obviously I'd give it to Justin Jefferson. But between those two, I think Josh Allen has proved it a little bit more this year. I think uh, just in terms of uh, – he's had a couple more MVP moments. I'm not even sure of the stats. I didn't even look at the stats before. I just – in terms of my thinking of this year, uh, you know, that, that diving touchdown that Josh Allen had uh, over the goal line and certain things like winning in the snow and just – I think Josh Allen has become kind of the face of the NFL this year in terms of what he's been able to do, winning some big games and stuff like that. So uh, I think this is the year where he's kind of overtaken Pat Mahomes, and I think that'll show in the MVP uh, standings at the end of the year. So uh, give me Josh Allen over Pat Mahomes right now. Really give me Justin Jefferson, but uh, in the actual race, uh, give me uh, Josh Allen. But I'd like to hear what you thought, think about the MVP race. I like your approach to that because I also think it should not go to a quarterback. It will go to a quarterback. And I, I like the Justin Jefferson pick likes. I, I think he has been the best player in the NFL on offense, no doubt. And he should take on offense play there. He should be the MVP because he's the reason the Vikings are so good. And they're, if not the one seed in the NFC, the two seed right there with the Eagles. Uh, and that they've been incredible. And I, I, yeah, Justin Jefferson is amazing. My pick not quarterback that I think should legit like be talked about and should have a chance. It's Nick Bosa and they're not going to give it to a defensive player. Nick Bosa has quietly had like one of the best seasons ever for a defensive lineman. And the 49ers, I think are one of the best teams in the NFL and they don't get talked about because they don't really have a flashy star. Like they got Brock Purdy back there slinging it. Debo's had it like a quiet year. He hasn't had as great of a year. Christian McCaffrey just got there. So his numbers aren't as great. They're just, uh, uh, I don't even know the word to describe it. They're an engine, a unit that just dominates. And if you've got one clear star, it's Nick Bosa. And he's leading the way on the defense. 17 and a half sacks through 16 weeks. 
That's incredible. He has a real chance to set the franchise record. Uh, I think the franchise record was like 21 and a half, 20 and a half, something like that. He's got a real chance to do it. And he, he's been incredibly so dominant on that defensive line. He's so young still, too. And I know you don't like hearing this. He's an Ohio State guy. But, man, he's just so good. He does such a great job in that D-line. I, I think he goes underappreciated because he is a defensive player. He is a defensive lineman. And I think he deserves that shine. Obviously, he's not going to get it. But I, I, in my mind, I think he might be the most valuable player. And I, I've talked about it before, like Aaron Donald, him not having an MVP is asinine. Aaron Donald was the best player in the NFL several times over. And I mean, last year, he was the best player in the NFL. But uh, it, it is what it is. If I'm having to pick between the quarterbacks, because that's who's going to take it home, I think it comes down to the two you mentioned, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. And then I think there's a third one. It's Joe Burrow. And I, I don't think Burrow will win it, but I think Burrow's name belongs in the conversation because the Bengals are really good, and so are the Bills, and so are the Chiefs. And I, I think it really comes down to um, these past, these next two weeks if one of these guys can just, like, really go crazy, make a moment, something like that. Because I don't think there's a clear just, like, one guy ahead of the other right now. I think it's kind of like, all right, guys, somebody do something, or we're, we're, we're not going to know what to do. Uh, in my mind, I think it's Patrick Mahomes because I just think the Chiefs, they they thought the Chiefs would be third in the AFC West this year. A lot of people did. And they won their eighth straight division title when people thought they were going to be down because Tyree Kill was gone. And they just said, nah, we're going to be just as good, if not better. And I, I think that's incredible. Everybody thought the AFC West was a lot better. It was the AFC West. They, they got one more playoff team. The Chargers made the playoffs. So I think Mahomes – being able to silence the doubters and just go out there and be Patrick Mahomes, which is kind of like we know what we're getting now with Mahomes, and it's one of, if not the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think that's tip of the hat. Like, take home another MVP, Pat. So I'm going to go with Pat Mahomes. But, yeah, can't go wrong with Josh Allen, and I think you can't go wrong with Joe Burrow either. So, I mean, we'll see what happens in the end. But I think we can both agree we'd like to see them move away from it, just giving it to quarterbacks. And that's kind of been a theme of us the past couple of years at least. Yeah, I, I love your thought process there. And yeah, not a fan of the Bosa brothers, but I, I remember them fondly, or not fondly, but remember them vividly coming to the big house a few times and wrecking a, a couple of Michigan quarterbacks up. So uh, definitely know that they're talented and definitely know uh, Nick Bosa and Justin Jefferson, both very deserving uh, there. Uh, we're going to move on to this week in sports. Uh, I will get started out of the box here quickly. Uh with my recap of the Lions, I've been talking about the Lions, I think, four or five weeks now. Uh, I've been talking about every time saying there's a chance we make the playoffs, but I don't think we really – there's a lot of things that have to go our way. Everything went our way last week, and we blew it. We we lost a, a very winnable game against the Carolina Panthers, and then every team we needed to lose lost. At, like, literally every team down to the Commanders losing at the end of the night. So I, I don't know what – uh, you know, else like that's that that may be the most lions thing that's ever happened is like actually having a chance. Like we, if all we had to do was win last week, and I think we were in the playoffs with the seventh seed, we, we would be in the seventh seed playoff spot with with the game to go. Now we have to do it all over again. We have to win, and then we have to have all, all those teams lose again, which is you know e- even more improbable at this point. So uh, I've said in the past couple of weeks, you know, I'm happy with where the lions are at. I think. You know, they've taken a step forward. Dan Campbell's showing me something that at least I'm I'm confident with them moving forward another year. This one does kind of hurt a little bit. And I, as a 
person who doesn't get hurt by the Lions ever. Like I've I've moved past the emotional damage that the Lions can do to me. But that one where it's like, all right, well, a loss is one thing. You know, the Lions have lost so many times in their life. But to have the NFL actually give a gift to the Lions and us squander it was a little bit harder to swallow. It was like, oh, man, that would have been nice to like really flip the script and be like, okay, we've, we got a gift and we took advantage of it. So, um, you know, sucks. Uh, I guess I'll root for it again next week, but, uh, not, not the end of the world as a, as a Michigan football fan that the lions aren't doing great because we've got a bigger fish to fry. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but, uh, that's my first. Yeah, I'm also going to talk about my NFL team with my first thing, the Tennessee Titans. And I, uh, I'm i frankly embarrassed of the Tennessee Titans. I, it's it's really, really embarrassing. This is a team that had the AFC South pretty much locked up, and they should have had it locked up for the third straight year, and they have pissed it away. And there's no other way to describe it than pissing it away um, with poor management of injuries. And, I mean, you've got to question the strength and conditioning of the team at this point, because there's, there's just no way a team can pile up this many injuries in three straight years. There's just, there's no possible way. And you see a guy like AJ Brown that was constantly injured while he was in Tennessee, go to Philadelphia and he's fine. It it raises questions. It makes you wonder what's going on in that room. Why do guys constantly stay injured? Um, It's really, really frustrating. And when you go out there against a team like the Houston Texans, who is not trying to win football games, and you lose, I mean, that's ridiculous. You have to win that game. And if they win that game, you're set up for um, a huge Thursday night game against Dallas. Now it doesn't matter. They're probably not going to play Derrick Henry, and they're probably going to rest a lot of the starters for this Week 18 game against Jacksonville. And I, I honestly hope Jacksonville wins that game. And I know that's like, how can you say that as a fan? Why would If you're a Titans fan, honestly ask yourself, why would you want the Titans in the playoffs? to get embarrassed by someone like there's a slight hope that Ryan Tannehill comes back. Ryan Tannehill. I love Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill's done great things for the Titans the past four years. He's been awful in the playoffs. He's never had a good playoff game. He's just going to go in there and throw picks. We're probably get Derrick Henry hurt. Like I let us go home and get healthy and have a top 10 draft pick. Maybe if we lose out the last two games, we might have a top 10 pick. Like let, let's get a top 10 pick in a draft that like, I know, like, scouts aren't crazy about. As a college football fan, like, I see a lot of these names. I'm like, those are dogs. I, I like a lot of the, the guys in these drafts. So I, I wouldn't mind having a, a higher pick and trying to get a guy that can come in here and actually play. And who knows? With a new general manager coming in, they might just give up on Malik Willis. And Malik, I think Malik's got something special. He's got the athleticism. The Titans are not the place for him because they can't develop anyone, let alone Malik Willis, that needs a lot of polishing. So trade him. Pick another quarterback. You've got guys like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. It's crazy how the demeanor is completely shifted to where the Titans were a team that could compete for the AFC South, win it for a third time in a row. Who knows? Maybe shake things up in the playoffs. So you got to blow it up in like the span of like three weeks. It's absolutely insane how how quickly things can change in the NFL. But that's how it is. I'm hoping that Mike Rabel is still the coach after this year. There's a lot of people that think he won't be that. I think that would be a huge mistake. But man, it's things are on fire and spreading quickly in Nashville. And it's disappointing because the Titans have been so, um, so um, consistent the last few years. And man, it's, it's gotten bad in Nashville. I I hate it, but it is what it is. I'll throw it to you for your next thing. If no, I'm not saying this will happen, but if Georgia blows out Ohio state, I don't think, I think there's a non-zero chance that Ohio state calls Mike Vrabel at the end of the season. 
like after the game because the Ryan Day I know the Ryan Day heat was like mostly from the fans and stuff but if they go out and get swamped by Georgia after the recruiting mishaps that they just had I do think Mike Vrabel might get a call from Ohio State at the end of the year you know what Mike Vrabel would say he'd say hell no Mike Vrabel said it many times he does not want to recruit I like and I I don't know why they'd want to hire him. I there is just turmoil <laughs> in Columbus. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've seen this. Stuff. Michigan. So I I don't know if they just that would be that's, interesting. That's the biggest Ohio State name out there right now. Uh, so other than Urban, obviously, but I don't think Urban's ever going back to college football. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. They might just beat Georgia, and Ryan Day might be safe. So we'll never we'll see about that. Uh, we're gonna move on to uh, wait. Where is I? Uh, uh, staying in the NFL. I'm sorry. I staying in the NFL. I thought I was getting onto my playoffs talk, but I forgot. I have one more NFL topic. It's Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. Uh, if you've heard probably by now, uh, Nathaniel Hackett gone after 15 games into his career at the Denver Broncos. But uh, we're not here to talk about Nathaniel Hackett. We're talking about Russell Wilson because, man, have you seen a quarterback? fall from grace like Russell Wilson. I have never seen a player go from perhaps a top five, at least a top 10 quarterback to legitimately a bottom five quarterback in the league. Like I don't know any team that would be trading for Russell Wilson right now. Uh, And to think how much we thought Denver won that trade back when they made it. Like I really was like, Oh, I can't believe Seattle gave up on Russell Wilson when they did. I I don't care what these draft picks really turn into because Russell Wilson's a generational type player. He's been that way. And man, I mean, they just made the best trade of their lives because they they're getting so much out of a guy that I don't think they would trade back for, for anyone on their roster, even like a seventh round pick. I've never seen a dude drop from grace. And I, I talked about it with my dad too. It's it's really weird to see like his demeanor has changed. He's not the same Russell Wilson that was in Seattle where when he was in Seattle I I know it was kind of played up like his like godly type stuff and the th- stuff he did on the off but like he was a pretty humble guy with pretty like, I I would say pretty likable. I I don't know if there's a more dislikable dude right now. <laughs> like did you see that clip of him shadow boxing during that game and I was like what? Who is this? This is not the Russell Wilson that I remember. And I don't know if it's just a, a sign that, like, don't give guys 10-year guaranteed contracts like they did because they're going to turn into what Russell Wilson's turned into. But I, I don't know. I think this is going to go down as one of the greatest, like, catastrophes. Like, I've never seen someone drop off a cliff in terms of their performance the way he has. And the fact that it seems like he doesn't even see it. He's like more confident than he was ever before in his life. So I can't, I I don't know the, the, the Russell Wilson, maybe we're going to find something out that's going on in his personal life. That's like, we're going to, Oh, that makes sense. Why Russell Wilson was acting so strange during that year. But like, other than that, like I can, I have no explanation for the fall that Russell Wilson's gone on. It's very interesting to see because I mean, I saw him at Wisconsin. I mean, we saw him win Super Bowls with Seattle. I mean, he was, he was a great quarterback for years and years, and I, I, I don't know. I At least you usually see like a year of decline before something as bad as this can happen, but I don't know. Denver just has no luck with quarterbacks at this point. I feel bad for him, but yeah, I, I don't know. Russell Wilson, man, go go figure something out. This is weird. This is a weird stuff, but uh, what's, what's your third thing coming up? Or second thing? 
it is really strange with Russ. Like he like the he fell off a mountain. It, it's it's really really strange. I the the Titans played the Seahawks last year, and I was really nervous before the game because I was like, it's Russ. Like that. Like you don't want to play against Russ. And he didn't play good in that game. And I was like, that's weird. Like, Russ looks different. Like, he's getting older. But I was like, the Seahawks aren't good. I was like, that that's all it is. Like, all, all he's got is DK. And now, like, this year with Geno, it's like, Seahawks look kind of good. Like, they're not a bad team. So, it's like, was it Russ? Like, you look back to that game. It's like, I remember that game. I was like, oh, the Titans defense is just good. And the Titans are just good. That's why Russ didn't play good. And now it's like time, like, marches on. I look back to the game. I'm like, no, maybe Maybe Russ was just in the decline, and it wasn't just the Titans. It was Russ that was the problem, and it, I don't know. It's been strange. It, I, I'd love for Russ to get back on track. It is. He's a he's a legendary uh, player in our era of football, especially like like we remember while he was at NC State in Wisconsin, and then going uh, kind of underrated in the draft and going third round, I believe, to Seattle. So it's. I'd love to see him get back on track. I've always been a fan of Russ. Not this year so much because, yeah, he's kind of been unbearable this year. Uh, my second thing, I'm going to shift from football to basketball. The Grizzlies and Warriors might be the next great rivalry in the NBA. And we talked about this when we were talking about Luka. The NBA might need more competitive regular season basketball. If you want competitive regular season basketball, go back and watch that game from Christmas Day between the Grizzlies and the Warriors. They were going at it for four quarters. They don't like each other. I mean, there's in the fourth quarter, Clay hit a shot when running back on defense. I mean, he just pushed down Dylan Brooks. And I was like, this looks like the bad boys. Like, this is what they used to do, like just pushing guys around the court. There were nine technical fouls in that game. That's not normal. And that, that that's what happens when you have two teams that just do not like each other. And I think that's good for the sport. Uh, my mom, God love Miss Stacy. She uh, she doesn't watch a whole lot of NBA, but she knew uh, the Grizzlies were playing. And obviously she supports job because she's a Murray State alumni as well. And she's become a fan of the Grizzlies. And she turns on the game. She's, she texts me. She said, I do not like the Warriors. She's like, they're mean. And I'm like, well, yeah. I was like, the Grizzlies, they, they, they like to talk smack. And the Warriors took it personal. And she's like, oh, so the rivals. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'd call them rivals. I was like, and it's, it's kind of uh, started since Jaw got in the league with that play-in game a couple of years ago where the Grizzlies took the Warriors out of the play-in tournament. And it's just it's gone on from there. Obviously, that um, playoff series last year that got so physical um, with uh, Dylan Brooks. Some people say injure him. Some people play say a dirty play on Gary Payton Jr. Uh, however you see that, it's it's obviously gone on from there. Josh said the Grizzlies don't have to worry about anyone in the West, and the Warriors like I bet, and they went out there without Steph and just absolutely dominated the Grizzlies. And it's I, I think it's the really it's the fun start to a rivalry. I don't know how long the rivalry will go as like Draymond and Clay and Steph are getting older, but at the same time. The Warriors have these young guns. Like Jordan Poole scored 33 points or whatever it was on Christmas, and they got thrown out of the game for technicals because that's just how it was that night. Um, I, I think it's just, I think it's a really fun rivalry. It's it's so weird because the, the culture of the NBA is that of like a lot of like fans think like the players, it's like everybody's got to be friends. So they see the Grizzlies taking shots and they're like, what are you doing? Like, And they're, they're taking the side of the Warriors. And I was talking to one of my friends. I was like, do people realize how crazy they sound? They're siding with the Golden State Warriors. Like, come on, guys. Like, remember, we all hate the Warriors. That, that's the dynasty. We don't like them. Like, we should be like, yeah, Grizzlies, Suns, take shots at the Warriors. And then I know, like, everyone's got to be nice. Be humble. It's like, 
what are we talking about here? It's professional sports. Who cares? That's that's my mindset about it. And obviously, I'm biased because I'm a Grizzlies fan. And obviously, Jaws, uh, I'm a ride or die for Ja. I, I think this is the really a fun genesis to this rivalry, and I hope it goes on for at least like five years. I, I hope Steph and Clay's career goes on longer because they are so much fun. I don't like them, but I, it's it's growing into like a Tom Brady type thing where I can appreciate to not like them. So I, I think it's the genesis of the next great rivalry because we haven't really. I mean, since like Cavs Warriors, we haven't really had one. I, I'm having a hard time thinking of like a rivalry in the NBA that hasn't been that. So yeah, hopefully this is the next great one. Two teams that are pretty good and do not like each other. Yeah, and you know, you talked about it like the the feel of the NBA and the AAU culture. I I, I feel like a guy like Ja who who was overlooked and kind of a guy that maybe wasn't accepted in that culture and that realm for a long time can kind of bring like that edge to bring back uh something to you know i've talked about it you know the nba regular season it's long and it's tough to it's tough to get sink your teeth into a lot of the times and, and a rivalry like that could make it a lot a lot more interesting during the regular season when we're playing 82 games of it so uh my final thing obviously with michigan and tcu playing in the playoff the playoff coming up this weekend uh that's where my focus has been this week we got a couple Right, practices starting. One of the more interesting things is that our early enrollees has have gone down and they're practicing with the team down there. It's one of the more interesting kind of developments, and I'm sure uh, it's happening in bowl practices too with Tennessee and guys like that. And it's really cool to see those types of things because it's you know it almost gives as we've been, we've talked about it. Like, what's the point in playing in a bowl game? Well, here you go. I mean, the fact that you get to get some of these freshmen game rep like game preparation they're going into their freshman season knowing how to prepare for games and not just games prepare for big games and and see how the the team does on a day-by-day basis going into a big game like whether it be a bowl game or a playoff game in our scenario so that's a lot of fun to see uh not much you can take away from just the stuff just i'm really excited to get into these games uh i i've talked about it i'm not I've watched some TCU uh, in this past week. I'm off of week uh, off of work this week, so I've been fully immersing myself into TCU and trying to figure them out. I'm not that afraid of them. They're they're good. Quentin Johnston's a really good player. Kendry Miller is a good running back. Obviously, Max Duggan and what he can do with his legs are, are going to make Michigan, uh, you know, be sound. We're going to have to be a lot more sound on defense uh, against TCU than about really any team that we face this year other than Ohio State. So uh, I'm interested to see how they go on that level. I think the difference is going to be how Michigan dominates on the run game. Uh, I've seen TCU a couple times, especially against Baylor, look really bad against run, especially against teams that know what they're doing in the run game. I think the difference is like, I, I went back and watched that Texas game and I can see why Texas's season went off the rails. They are so talented but not well coached they have a lot of problems in the run game and like blocking wise and just they seem just like helter skelter trying to do a lot of things where teams like Baylor and K-State really took advantage of some things that TCU did poorly so uh I am really excited to see what Michigan can do because I don't know if anyone can hang with our offensive line in our run game and then that Georgia Ohio State game uh, I know it's not the same hype that it had maybe last year when we were thinking about like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and those guys going up against that all world Georgia defense. But this is still, I'm really excited to see what, like who's going to give in this one, because I've talked about, I think the game's gone in like a more defensive way 
in the past couple of years. I think Georgia could really prove it by really shutting down C.J. Stroud and showing, you know, what a good defense looks like. Because, uh, you know, not that I don't think Michigan's defense is great. We we did great against Ohio State. But I think Kirby Smart has been hearing for years that Ohio State could give them trouble. I think he's had a game plan ready for C.J. Stroud and Ohio State for a long time. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to do and draw up against them. I think I really do think Georgia is going to – I if if either has a chance to become a blowout, I actually think Georgia blowing out Ohio State is more likely than Michigan blowing out TCU because TCU, give them credit. They've done. They, I know a lot of people think you know the Big Twelve is not that great, but they've done really well against some good teams that uh, you know, uh, you know Oklahoma State, Baylor, like I said, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. Those teams they all the, beat them in in different ways, almost every way. So uh, they've had to do a lot of things. Uh, I just don't think they're going to be up to the task against Michigan. So, but I'm excited to see, I I think this is going to be one of the more fun new year's Eve set of games, because sometimes like last year, even Michigan, Georgia is like, I kind of, I I kind of feel like I know what's going into it. This one is a little bit more eat. Both one could go, both ones could go either way. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see uh, how that plays out. But uh, what you got to wrap up? So you talked about college playoff. NFL playoffs are starting to shape out. A lot of the spots are clinched. Then you got like the NFC South is real garbage, real, real garbage. You're going to have a bad team getting that division, probably the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then Jaguars Titans is now confirmed that week 18 matchup in Jacksonville is going to be for the AFC South. One of those really bad, I'm not going to call the Jaguars a really bad team. I think they're a team that's starting to figure it out and they got a good head coach, some really good talent. Uh, One of those teams is going to make the playoffs. And uh, I I think it's getting really interesting. You've got, it's being set up for some bad teams to make the playoffs, but that's okay. Uh, We knew we'd get teams with some really funky records making the playoffs once we expanded the schedule by one game. Uh, The Los Angeles Chargers, they clinched. Uh, the, for the first time in the Justin Herbert era, but yeah, I, I, I'm all my eyes that aren't on college football or towards that Week 18 game. I'm going to completely ignore the Thursday night game between Dallas and Tennessee because I've got a bad feeling about that one. <laughs> got a bad feeling Dallas is going to score a lot of points, and the Titans are not going to score a lot of points. But uh, I'm not going to think about that one. I'm just the Titans have a bye week in my mind, and then we're playing Week 18 against the Jaguars, and let's go to the playoffs or everybody gets fired. So no pressure, guys. Uh, And that's all I got uh, for this week in sports. All right, that wraps this week in sports. We'll get into our picks. The final big set of picks that we can have this year uh, with the New Year's Six Bulls. We'll we'll still pick the national championship game, obviously, but uh, if I want any chance of getting back into the standings, I'm going to have to have a good set of picks here in the New New Year's Six Bulls. Uh, So we will start... Uh, let's start with the Sugar Bowl. Alabama taking on K State. Who do you like in that? So you got ten and two Alabama, number five. What a weird spot for them in the Sugar Bowl. I, I don't think anyone expected that coming into the year. And then number nine Kansas State, ten and three in the Sugar Bowl. Big Twelve champions again. What a weird spot for them. I don't think anyone expected that coming into the season. So it's kind of like the Sugar Bowl, like with coming into the season. I don't think there's any shot there. Like we're gonna have Alabama and Kansas State, but here we are and. This game, when it was announced, I don't think anyone was excited for it because everyone kind of assumed Bryce Young wouldn't be playing and Will Anderson wouldn't be playing. They're playing, and that makes this game completely different. And I have to like, – I've said a lot of mean things about Alabama. I do not like Alabama football at all. Tip of the hat to Bryce Young and Will Anderson. I think that's awesome. I think it's really, really cool that they're playing in the game. I would understand if they're opting out, but them deciding – 
to play. I, I think it sets a good precedent for other teams, other players. I think it's really, really cool. So I nothing but respect for those guys. I think this it makes this game a lot better. If they weren't playing, I'd go with Kansas State. I like in a heartbeat. I really like Kansas State's team. I love Deuce Vaughn. I love Will Howard. I like that defense. They have some they have some really good players. I think Kansas State's gonna play really hard. I think this game's gonna be closer than people maybe think it will. Kind of like that Big 12 championship. I think a lot of people thought TCU would run away with it. Kansas State's got a lot of heart. Kansas State's a good team. Alabama's good. And if they've got Bryce Young and Will Anderson, that's a different beast. I mean, they're they're a really, really good team. I'm gonna go with Alabama to win it. I'd love to see Kansas State win. I'm gonna go with Bryce Young and uh, Will Anderson to lead the tide to a win and then take off to the NFL. Yeah, I, I, the Bryce Young Will Anderson thing does make a big difference. I think a lot, like like you said, for for months we've been thinking like ah, but they're not going to play in that game. If it's the playoffs or bust, and the fact that they are playing, you know, I think shows a little bit of good gamemanship by Saban by making those guys captains because I think that's a big part of why if you're voted a captain and sitting at a bowl game that. I, that all clicked into my mind and made a lot of sense. I, I, I'm still going to go with K-State, one, because I do need to pick against you in a lot of ways. But two, uh, I love K-State. I love Deuce Vaughn. And I think they are uh, – they've talked about it. TCU was maybe you know the best team. K-State was the most well-coached team in the Big 12 by, by a long shot. And that team did a lot of good, good things. And you're talking about – a. Uh, they came into the year with thinking Adrian Martinez was going to be their guy. And now they've got Will Rogers going out there and, and he's balling too. So I, I really like K-State. Uh, I think they get it done against the Crimson Tide. Uh, we will move on to the Rose Bowl. How about Penn State taking on Utah? This is an interesting game. And before this, before I did my research for this game, I had no clue what to expect about it. And then I looked up, I was like, well, like, do these guys have like guys sitting out? A lot of guys sitting out. I knew about Penn State, Joey Porter Jr. sitting out. I was like, fair enough. He, he's going pro. He deserves it. He's going to be a great pro. Um, Utah is going to be with, without their running back, Tavion Thomas, without Clark Phillips as well. They're shut down corner. It's like, well, that's a big miss on both sides for them. They still have Cam Rising, though. And I, all year, I've said it. I've not been crazy about Penn State all year. I know they've only lost two games, I know all those things. I just I have a hard time picking them to beat a team that we know is pretty good. Like we know Utah's pretty good. I have a hard time going with Penn State over them. I, I just I'm not crazy about Utah. I'm not crazy about Penn State, but I we saw Utah just absolutely out physicalize USC in the Pac-12 championship. And I think that very much goes in their favor when they're playing a Big Ten team. Because you know Penn State's going to try to get physical. That's what – I mean, they're going to try to run the ball, uh, those two freshmen they have. Um, they're they're going to try to run the ball down uh, Utah's throat. But I think Utah will be ready for it. They'll be able to play physical defense, and the Utes are going to win uh, the Rose Bowl, get revenge on the Big Ten for last year. I have been a big fan of Utah since the beginning of the year. I had them as one of my playoff teams. Uh, I also have been one to say that Penn State was – Nobody's had the right narrative on Penn State. After Michigan blew them out, everyone said they were trash. Once Ohio State needed them to boost their resume, everyone said Penn State was this top 10 amazing team. No one has gotten them pinned down right. They're a good Big Ten team. And that how you value that uh, is really how you should approach this game. Because do you value the Big Ten more than you value the Pac-12? At this point, I really do. And I do think Penn State's two losses are a little bit more impressive than Utah's losses at this point, losing to Michigan, losing to Ohio state. 
I think this is all going to come down to whether Sean Clifford. I, I don't know if they've announced it or not. If Sean Clifford's going to play or if it's going to be Drew Aller, their five star. I, I tried to look it up. I can't. I can't find out. I don't think they're going to tell us. But uh, if it's Drew Aller, he's a lot better than Sean Clifford. I mean, he's he's a ton better. And I think, like you said, with Clark Phillips sitting out at corner, they've got some playmakers at wide receiver. I mean, they didn't throw for a ton of yards against Michigan, partly because Sean Clifford was their quarterback, but. They had some guys like Parker Washington who was getting open a lot, and, and he did that a lot against Ohio State. And I think uh, if you can get a guy like Drew Aller going in there, I, I think it would be smart for uh, you know Penn State to start their guy. Get if you're in one of these bowl games, you should get your your next year's quarterback. Kind of almost treat it like a spring game and get there. You get your guy in there and get him some reps. Uh, if they do that with Drew Aller. I think they could take advantage of Utah's weaknesses, and I think Penn State can get this done. I think Penn State uh, wins the Rose Bowl. Uh, Penn State's also one of those teams that takes the Rose Bowl seriously. Like I, I know just from watching the Big Ten from years for years and years, they really like playing in the Rose Bowl, and they really like winning that game. So I think uh, Penn State will get that done. Not that Utah doesn't, but I'm sure uh, I know about Penn State. They like that stuff. Uh, moving on to the Cotton Bowl. That's going to be an interesting one between USC and Tulane. An odd matchup. Number 16, Tulane, 11 and 2. Number 10, USC, 11 and 2. I like the Sugar Bowl. I don't think anyone with the Cotton Bowl coming into the year was like, we're going to have Tulane and USC in this game. That's how it's going to be. Put it in chalk. That's what's happening. But here we are. And I, it's, it's interesting. Very, very interesting to say the least. You have the top uh, group of 16 against. USC, who like I praised all year, I thought they were great. The only team that really was the kryptonite was Utah. So I, it's a really, really, really interesting matchup. They've got a few guys opting out, like Jordan Addison, which is former Blitnikoff winner, is not playing. But you still got you got playmakers all over the, uh, all over the field for USC, and you got the Heisman winner, Caleb Williams. And I, I think that's the real difference maker. If Tulane can slow down Caleb Williams. No one's really slowed down Caleb Williams. So I, I wish the Green Wave great luck, but I don't think they're going to slow down Caleb Williams as he and Lincoln Riley tried to build momentum for a playoff run next year. So I, I'm going to go with the Trojans to pick up a 12th win in the first year under Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I, I'm i going to agree with you. I think USC is going to win this game. I don't know what the over is in this game, but take it. Because USC's defense is so bad, and Tulane's – offense i've talked about it i've I watched them a couple times they have a great offense their offense is going to be awesome they're going to be fired up to play in that game it's going to be a shootout i expect both teams to score 40 plus points uh and i just think caleb williams i think will get it done at the end of the day like you said so i think i'll take usc in that one as well but over under is 62 hammer that hammer that i don't know what they're thinking that's that's free money uh all right moving on to the last new year's six non-playoff game between the Tennessee Volunteers uh, and the Clemson Tigers, it's the Orange Bowl. Dylan, who you got? It's the all-Orange Bowl. You got the orange of the Tennessee Volunteers, the most beautiful orange on God's green earth, against the orange of the Clemson Tigers, that ugly, little bit darker orange. Number seven, Clemson, 11-2. and two. Number six, Tennessee, 10-2. and two. Man, I am so excited for this. Tennessee hasn't played in a meaningful bowl game in a while. And I, I've mentioned it before. I grew up as a Tennessee fan in a dark time where we got excited for Music City Bowls, for Tax Slayer Bowls, for all these things. We're in a New Year's Six Bowl in year two under Josh Heupel. And I'm just excited. I'm excited to have fun watching the game. I, I think Tennessee's got a shot to be Clemson. Clemson 
should run away with this game. They have way more talent on their team. They haven't had a ton of guys opt out, but I, I think Tennessee still has a chance. I really do. Um, Tennessee's going to be without Brew McCoy, or not Brew McCoy, excuse me, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, and Jeremy Banks. They will have Brew McCoy, um, and obviously Hendon Hooker towards ACL. So Joe Milton will be behind center. And it, it all comes down to Joe Milton. Has is he going to be able to connect with the receivers, make the right reads, uh, use his legs, and uh, to kind of neutralize the aggressiveness of that Clemson defense? And if he can, Tennessee's got every shot in the world. So, I mean, Clemson's starting a freshman quarterback who has one start. And it was against North Carolina, and I know Tennessee's got a really bad defense. North Carolina's defense is worse. If you don't believe me, look it up. North Carolina's defense is bad, and Clay Club Clubnick against North Carolina. 20 to 24, 279 yards, one touchdown, throw in 30 rushing yards and a touchdown. That's not setting the world on fire. I know a lot of people are like, well, he's going to, uh, Clemson's going to be so much better in the Klubnik era. I mean, that's not crazy against a bad defense. So I, it gives me hope that the Tennessee defense will be able to kind of hold on, maybe get a few stops here or there. It's a freshman quarterback. Get him rattled. Who knows what can happen? Uh, he seems like a gamer, though. He seems like he's going to be a good player in the future, but it, it comes down to, I, it really comes down to Joe Milton. If Joe Milton could be the guy, it's his tryout. And he's gonna he's got a chance on a huge stage against a great defense uh, to go out there and ball. And he'll be the starter for Tennessee next year if he can. If not, man, we're going to be talking about Nico Amolvea for a long time <laughs> until next August. But I, I have all the faith in Joe. I, I think uh, from all the stories of Hendon having ACL surgery in Los Angeles and immediately Zooming Joe to talk about the game plan, Hendon is basically serving as like a – assistant quarterback coach for this game. And I trust no one more on this planet than Hendon Hooker to have someone ready to play football. So I, I'm, I'm riding with Hendon Hooker. I'm riding with Josh Heupel. I'm riding with Bazooka Joe Milton to win the Orange Bowl. It's Rocky Top all night long on Friday, December 30th and into the new year. And the decade of the Vols is here, and I, I'm so excited. I believe it. I've been saying it since, like, 2010. This is finally going to be the decade of the Vols. We're coming. Go Vols, Rocky Top, all that. A lot wants like pushes me towards picking Tennessee. Like you said, like you guys are playing in your first meaningful bowl game in a long time. Whereas this is a letdown for Clemson. You know, they're playoff or bust. And, you know, a lot of the times that's really all that matters is like a team that's coming in wanting to play the game versus a team that is coming in not wanting to play the game. I'm sorry. I can't pick Joe Milton. I, I, I've, I've, I watched him take snaps against Michigan State. And fireballs, ten yards over guys' heads, and, and fifty yards when they on thirty-yard routes. I, I don't know. He's had two years to figure out his touch, so maybe he'll shock me. But I, I don't know how uh, a Joe Milton team is going to be a Clemson. A Joe Milton-led team is going to be a Clemson like that. Like I, I just can't. I can't see it. But you know, I, I'm rooting for him. I man, I hope he does well. But man. <laughs> I I've seen Joe at his worst, and and I am really hoping and you that's not what he gives you guys because uh you know a, actually I do hope he gives it to you now if that's what he's going to give to you like I'd rather him just you show it show it to you guys because there was the Minnesota game in 2020 where we were like man Joe Milton's a Heisman like candidate like that that kid's going to be really good and. I don't think he probably completed 30% of his passes after that game. So <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're going to see, we're going to see what Joe Milton has turned into since, uh, since he left Ann Arbor, uh, moving on to the playoff. We're going to start in Arizona with the Fiesta bowl, Michigan versus TCU. Dylan, who are you liking that one? 
So you got the big 12 runner-ups, number three TCU, 12 and one against number two Michigan, 13 and oh. What a, what a year for both these teams. Uh, TCU, a lot of people had them penciled in as the big 12 champions. The K-State upset them in what was just an incredible game. I, I think it was the highlight of the conference championship weekend. An incredible, incredible game. It's been an awesome run for TCU, but I just don't think they're a good matchup for Michigan. And we've talked about it a lot this year. Michigan is just so physical. And I don't think that adds up well for TCU. I think Michigan, like, I think this game will be probably tight at halftime. And like they've done all year, Michigan, they're going to, those poor defensive linemen at TCU are going to get tired. The linebackers are going to get tired. And Michigan's going to pound that rock. I know Blake Corm isn't playing. Michigan's got stable running backs, and they've showed it all year long. I, if JJ can make plays, I don't really think he has to make too many plays in this game, but he showed he can. He showed it in the Ohio State game. Uh, but I, I think those running backs and that offensive line and that defense, I, I think that's what it all uh, hinders on. And I, I think it's hard to go against what Michigan has in those three assets of the game. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Wolverines to advance to the national championship. Yeah, I love hearing that. The fact that we very likely are going to be playing for a national championship. I don't want to look past CCU. Like I said, I don't think they're given enough credit for what they've done this year. They won 12 games. They they beat some good teams in the in the Big 12 that beat up on each other. Uh, I just think, like you said, they're a bad matchup for Michigan. Michigan on both sides of the line. Like, we're going to control the offensive line uh, when we're on offense. We're going to control the line of scrimmage when we're on defense. And I don't know... TCU has gone down in a few games. If they go down against Michigan, it's going to be over quickly. I don't see them making a comeback. I do think, like you said, I think Max Duggan, he he gives a little bit of a different look to Michigan that will keep them around, uh, keep them around, around at halftime. But Michigan wears on you. We're, we're, we're like Georgia in that way where we're a bow constrictor. We'll get around you. And we'll, as long as, as long as you've, you haven't put the game away in the third quarter. We're probably going to have a good chance to win the game. And I don't think TCU is really built in the same way. A hell of a year from Sonny Dykes in his first year. That team is going to be a problem for the Big 12, especially as Texas and Oklahoma move out of the Big 12. I, I just think it's a they're a bit premature in their playoff run. So give me Michigan, obviously. Uh, I'm excited to see who they play as Georgia and Ohio State face off in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, in the Peach Bowl. Uh, in the final New Year's Six game and the final playoff game on New Year's Eve. Dylan, who do you like in that one? When Georgia takes a game seriously, I don't think there's a team in college football that's better. I think when Georgia gets their cleats in the ground, they seek their teeth into a game. I don't know that there's a team better. I mean, that's a boa constrictor. And they showed it in the SEC championship game. They showed it in that game in Athens against Tennessee. I mean, they just they don't give you anything. I mean, LSU, they, they were able to score a few touchdowns just because LSU is some of the best planets and uh, some of the best planets, some of the best athletes on the planet uh, on that team, like Keyshawn Booty. Uh, but man, they are, that's a special, special defensive scheme and just players on that defense. The offense can do things. The offense isn't all that great. It doesn't have to be because they, they get you, they get so many stops and they're able to be so physical. And it, it's a slept on thing that a lot of people don't see. They can air it out a little bit. And Stetson, that's one of his great traits. He can put touch in that long ball, and they've got some athletes that can run down there, and they can, they can, they can get downfield quick. And that's something Ohio State's got to be careful about. Man, they got exposed in that Michigan game, letting up deep passes. And you got to imagine Kirby Smart and Stetson are licking their lips, being like, hey, we, we can do that. And something that I didn't know about until this week, C.J. Stroud doesn't like to get hit. 
and I got bad news for him. He's going to get hit a lot against Georgia. And I like I watched some highlights. It was against several teams in the Big Ten, and CJ would have runs, and there'd be a, uh, a guy coming in to tackle him from five yards out, and he would immediately go down. You can't do that against Georgia. And I, I'm not trying to like give him tips or anything, but like if he's doing that against Georgia, this game's going to be over. You've got to fight for those extra yards, even if you're the quarterback. I mean, that's just how it goes. If you're if you're trying to be Georgia, you cannot go down. You've got to fight for every single little yard. Because I mean, there there's the reason that the defending national champions and they've got players on every NFL roster. I mean, it's just become a factory. And Kirby Smart's done an amazing job. And I I'd love to see Ohio State win and get the one of the best rivalries in college football in the national championship. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think a team that got exposed a week before the rankings got out is even maybe probably deserved to be here, but no one else was going to be here either. So uh, that's, that's why we're in this situation. Georgia maybe should have just had a bye, <laughs> but yeah, I think Georgia uh, wins this one. And I, I don't think it's going to be close. I really don't. I, the way they handled LSU, I didn't expect that. So now I'm like, okay, Georgia's really, really good. So who knows? Uh, I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. Yeah, I think you you said it perfectly. I think the difference here is going to be the difference between just pure recruiting and purely looking at talent and how many five stars you have and the difference between, okay, taking that recruiting and developing those guys once they get on the uh, – I think that's been Ohio State's biggest problem. I think they've gotten – they've done just as – about as well as anyone in recruiting, and they don't develop anyone outside of their wide receivers because their wide receivers are very, very good. But outside of those wide receivers, no one gets better. I mean, JTT, JT Tulumalau had that one game against Penn State. I mean, he should be Joey Nick Bosa for this team. He should be, but he's not. And I, I think that's an indictment on Ryan Day and, and their coaching staff and what they've done uh, at, at Ohio State. On the flip side, Georgia has done amazing things in that regard. I, I I think every player on their team plays up to their potential. And I think that's the best part about Georgia's program is like they get the best out of everyone. I mean, Brock Bowers as a freshman was immediately the best tight end in the country. And that's that's what you're getting when you're going up against a team like Georgia, where it's like we're gonna we have a coaching staff that's going to actualize every player we get and get the most out of them. Whereas Ohio State, yeah, you can throw a bunch of five stars on the field, but if you don't play you know, the, the right style of football. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And like you said, they are so soft. CJ Stroud is part of it, but like the, their whole team is soft. And I don't think going up against a team like Georgia, that that is going to, they're going to break really, really quickly. That and You've seen it against Michigan in two years in a row. Uh, and you're going to see it again. As much as I would like to pick against you for the standings, I'd I think Georgia gets this done. I think they get it done easily. So Georgia, Michigan rematch in the national title game. Uh, and that will do it for the playoffs. All right. Then that'll do it for Dylan and Dylan show in 2022. Dylan, do you have any final thoughts before we head into the new year? Yeah, I've got one last trip to a sporting event in 2022. I'm going to the Music City Bowl. We've talked about all these great bowl games. Oh, my God. Iowa and Kentucky in Nashville. Cannot wait. Everybody's opted out. It's like, oh, I might see Will Levis. Nope. (laughs) No Will Levis. We'll see how it is. It's kind of one of those like, oh, I'm going to see a terrible game, and I'm all for it. I'm excited. Tickets were cheap. Um, It'll be fun getting together with family and friends and just watching football to ring in the new year, and I'm all for it. But, yeah, it was a great year on the Dylan and Dylan Show. I'm looking forward to 2023, uh, and thank you guys for listening. You might see uh, Michigan legend Cade McNamara roaming the sidelines for Iowa down there. (laughs) I hope I do. 
<laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening this year, everyone. We've enjoyed uh, being with you this year, and hopefully we'll be with you for another great 2023. Uh, here is where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan Dylan Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Television Sports at Television Sports underscore on Instagram. TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV Sports and Facebook and LinkedIn at Television Sports and on the web at TVSportsBank.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all next week. So long.